So I'll be leading us through this little mini-series uh, in um, these first two chapters of this wonderful part of God's Word. I wonder for how many of us it's our favourite book in the New Testament or our favourite book in the Bible. I'm confident that for some of us it's already your favourite book in the entire Bible and uh, for you, I'll try not to stuff it up these um, next two weeks um, and I hope your love for it only grows and grows. For some of us, others of us, Ephesians has proven transformative in our spiritual lives, in shaping our convictions about who we believe God is and all that He's done and all that He's done for us. Um, it's one of the reasons why it's probably so precious to many of us, perhaps around issues of God's sovereignty uh, or His election of us, His choosing of us or our responsibility for, toward one another as gifted individuals uh, through the work of Christ in us um, and in His church community. Many, many more areas besides why we love Ephesians. For some of us, Ephesians contains passages, though, uh, that we struggle with, uh, that we wrestle with. And some of those we might actually be touching on today, even in this first chapter of Ephesians. There are doctrines and teachings here that some of us find a bit hard to kind of come at and make sense of and reconcile with our view of the world and understanding of ourselves and how uh, things really work. So let's look forward to uh, sitting under God's Word this afternoon and next week as well. But may I begin with this question, because um, if you've still got it open there, uh, Paul begins with praise. And the question I want to just have in our minds as we come to the text is, does my passion for praise, praise of our great God, does it come even close to what we see of Paul's here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this part of God's Word, can the praise of God in my life even hold a candle to Paul's just bright and glowing and effervescent burning passion for the praise of God in Christ? Can Paul, uh, because Paul uh, positively, he, he gushes, he glows here, doesn't he? Uh, from verse uh, 3 of chapter 1, say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, down at verse 6, uh, we've been lovingly predestined, to the praise of His glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one He loves. Down at verse 12, God, uh, God's people were chosen in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. It's overflowing, isn't it, down at verse 14? Uh, every believer has the Spirit of God, the Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Friends, uh, does our boasting of God sound like that? I know I'm just a visitor here this afternoon, I don't mean to seem critical, uh, but does our praise of God sound like that? Does our prayer life, overflow like that, what a thing that would be. Uh, perhaps, um, uh, perhaps my favourite non-biblical proverb um, might help us here just to frame our time as we come to Ephesians 1 now. Uh, you might know the proverb, especially if you were at the Challenge Conference, you heard me rattle it off in a different context. Uh, I think it's a Native American proverb and the story is usually told something like this. An old Cherokee Indian chief was teaching his grandson about life. And uh, he said, a, a fight is going on inside me. So this is the grandfather speaking to his grandson. A fight is going on inside me, he told the young boy. A fight between two wolves. Uh, the dark wolf is evil. He is anger and envy and sorrow and regret and greed and arrogance and self-pity and guilt and resentment and inferiority and lies and false pride and superiority and ego the dark wolf. 
He continued, the light wolf is good, is joy and peace and love and hope and serenity and humility and kindness and benevolence uh, and empathy and generosity and truth, passion and faith, and I would add to that list, praise. And the grandfather says to the grandson, the same fight is going on inside you and inside every person on the face of this earth. And the grandson pondered this for a moment and then he asked his grandfather, Grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee smiled, simply said, the one you feed. Now, like any proverb, uh, we need to be careful how we apply it. It's not telling us how to please God. It's not telling us how to get saved. It's not telling us how to be a good Christian. But I mention it to ask this as we come to Ephesians 1, could it be that praise is being overpowered in our lives, gobbled up in our lives, overpowered uh, perhaps by apathy and jealousy and discontent and self-absorption and inferiority and all of the rest of the things in that list? Might praise be being overpowered in our lives simply for want of being fed? Fed consistently with the truths that empower Paul's praise in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, could that be the case in your life? And is it the case in mine? Is that why my prayer life doesn't hold a candle to Paul's here? Uh, are we weak on praise precisely because we have given our bellies too little of the nourishing truths of the gospel that we have here in Ephesians chapter 1? Uh, which is precisely the grounds of Paul's praise, as we're going to see. I believe that's why he wrote it. He wasn't writing to show off uh, his praising life. No, he not only sang God's praises, but he wrote them down for the churches specifically that we might find our hearts and our hands and our heads uh, and our hopes, our whole selves, captivated by the very same Jesus and so be moved to praise. Let's pray and, and uh, dig right into this now together. Our Father God in heaven, uh, we confess to you that there are truths in our lives that move us less than they ought to. And some of those truths are um, sort of grand, noble principles of um, justice or equality or generosity. Uh, some of those truths are in the little things which we overlook or we fail to act on or appreciate, the the simple love of friends, the dignity of people on the other end of a screen, the, the debt of love that we owe our parents or siblings or colleagues or, or neighbours. And then, Father, there are those colossal truths about our God and our world and all you've done and our lives and our future. Father, by the work of your Spirit in our midst right now, may your word raise our eyes and lift our heads and fill our hearts and move our hands and revive our hopes all to the praise of your glorious grace. May we not leave here unchanged by the God we meet in this spectacular portion of your word to us today. And for Christ's sake, we ask it, please. Amen. So I've asked the question, has our passion for praise uh, been fed by the truths, the realities, the, the true motivations that Paul has found in the gospel? Um, as I see it, there are three 
main motivations in our texts today, at least that's how I'm going to break it down. You can probably find many, many more. It's, a, it's, it's one of those passages where you get to the end and you go, I've barely even scratched the surface. We're going to have to go back there. I won't do that next week, don't worry. But you could dig into it through the week. Uh, but here, here are the three headings that I, I hope we will find fuel for our praise in. Firstly, his presence, his possession, and his purpose. His presence, his possession, and his purpose. Firstly, his presence which might seem a bit of a, an odd term to use because it isn't actually used in this entire opening paragraph, and that's true, it's not. But I think the fires of Paul's praise find fuel in his appreciation of where we are. Uh, let me read these verses and just count the number of times uh, that Paul locates us somewhere, uh, tells us where we are, where we find ourselves from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Could we read along together? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." Brothers and sisters, chosen, verse 4, to be holy and blameless. Uh, predestined, verse 5. Predestined to be part of God's own family, like you belong forever with him. Uh, redemption, verse 7, through his blood, which speaks, uh, the metaphor of redemption speaks as if we were owned or enslaved or incapacitated somehow, but at the cost of Christ's death, we are no longer. Forgiveness, verse 8, has been lavished on you, wherein God knows, wherein God knows he goes to overlook it, to sweep it away, to cast it aside. He will never hold that against you anymore. Do you realise that? What a precious thing we have in Christ. Made known, uh, as in God has made his very own mind and will and plans known to us, to us, little us, in this vast universe. Friends, which of those is most precious, and perhaps there's more that you'd point to, which of those is most precious to you? Chosen, you are, predestined, you have been, from before creation, bought at the cost of Christ's blood. God has forgiven you, not just for the little things, but for the lot, the absolute lot. And he wants you to know and be part of where he is taking this world. See, the funny thing is, I reckon, when we read verse 3, uh, many of us know verse 3 by heart, I suspect, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When we read verse 3, I think for some of us, at least some of the time, well, our hearts sink a little bit. And maybe this is sapping our praise. Let me show you what I mean. Why does 
Our, why do our hearts sink at verse 3? It's for this reason, read it along with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And spiritual there, I think, should be a capital S. I think it's Father, Son, and Spirit. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, yes, it speaks of blessing, and yes, it speaks of Christ, and yes, it speaks of every, you know, it's this overflowing kind of language, but do our hearts sink a little bit because it's only, only spiritual blessings. And where are those? Well, they're, what does it say? In the heavenly realms. So do our hearts sink? God, perhaps my heart would be a little more full of praise if only you gave me every material blessing where I actually am, namely in the earthly realms. I'm sure we wouldn't come out and say it quite like that. Were we battling our way through life down here? Would we praise God more fully then? Brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's just try and keep this in mind as we read Ephesians this week and next. Very likely, Paul writes this letter from imprisonment in Rome, well actually certainly he writes this letter from imprisonment, but we suspect from Rome, uh, with a potential threat of the death penalty hanging over his head. My point is this, he knows what it is to be on earth, to experience not the blessed life, but the hard life. So what is verse 3 saying? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's saying, Christian, will you remember that you stand, even in this very moment, in the presence of the God who has given everything for you? See, in the heavenly realms, that and forth doing who knows what, what are they even and harps and, I don't know, souls sort of wafting back and forth doing who knows what, what do they even do in those pictures and images? I don't even know. No, heaven here, it's where God is. And your earthly existence may be kind of fraught right now. I don't know what your life is like at the present time. But before the presence of the Lord, where you are right now, you're in Christ. He counts you as his son. And that's for men and women. You're sons in the son, um, sons and daughters in the son. He counts you as his own. You stand before God as one who is loved and cherished that he chose. You're spotless in his eyes. So you can stand confidently. You're pleasing in his sight. And I say it's a capital S, spiritual, because this isn't just a future hope. Oh, I'll get there one day. It's right now. Why? Because the spirit who lives in us, each of us, among us, we are right now in his presence in the heavenly realms in Christ. Even as we live in the land of earthly compromise and conflict and imprisonment in Rome or whatever it is that you're going through at the present time in your earthly existence. Christian, will this feed the fires of praise in our lives? That you stand now in the presence of the God who sees you and who knows you, who chose you and who lavishes life on you. What have you to fear, Christian, where you stand right now in Christ? Firstly, his presence. Secondly, his possession, from verse 11 and following. Now, let me affirm this very clearly. So far, um, Paul has been describing blessings that are absolutely your possession now of every Christian. Are you a Christian? 
then you are treasured, holy, special, set apart, um, even for all of your failings. Uh, those things were true of Israel in the past, God's holy treasured possession of the Old Testament. But in the present age, you, you Ephesians, you believers in the Lord Jesus Christ down to us today who share in the same common gospel. But at verse 11, Paul sort of switches from speaking of we, meaning all Christians, he switches to say we, that is him as a, a, a person of Jewish heritage, we, faithful Israelites in times past, but now you, verse 13, you Ephesians, which obviously carries through to us today. He's saying, do you realise that you, whether you're part of the historic people of God or not, whoever you are, you now are the treasured people of God um, through the gospel. Let's read from verse 11, shall we? In him, that is in Christ, from verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first, right, that is the Jewish believers, the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Friends, Ephesians chapter 1, it confronts us with a portrait of God as one who has purposefully planned throughout history and who has deliberately done. Purposefully planned, this is the God that we meet, am I not right? Uh, the Purposefully planned and he has deliberately done. And I, I do think it's worth pausing and asking and uh, perhaps discussing afterwards and, and talking amongst ourselves afterwards, are we comfortable with this language? Not only of God being powerful, I think we're comfortable with God being powerful, but of God being purposeful. He chose. He predestined, orchestrated, you see. The plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And some of us, that, that might be a bread and butter, we might have grown up on it. For others of us, that might be quite a new concept for us. Are we willing to accept that history marches to the beat of God's drum? That's what it's saying, isn't it? Now, there is a wonderfully pleasant and positive side to that, of course, which is the purpose that Paul is putting it to here. Uh, back in verse 10, Paul described God's intention, his, his grand purpose to unite the world together under Christ, heaven and earth. Uh, which is such a relief, may I say, um, especially if you are feeling in something of a fraught situation at the present time in your own life because you think, oh, thank God, our blessings, our, our blessings one day will be physical as well as spiritual. Our God means to change the actual world. He has a purpose to do that and he will do it. But the late John Stott makes a couple of excellent points here, which I'd just like to read to you. He says, uh, John Stott, by the way, is a commentator, uh, was, uh, well, he's still alive, he's with the Lord now, uh, but he wrote some spectacular books, uh, including one on the book of Ephesians. And he writes, now, everybody, everybody finds the doctrine of election difficult. Didn't I choose God? Someone asks indignantly, to which we must answer, yes, indeed you did, and freely, but only because in eternity God had first chosen you. 
didn't I decide for Christ? Asks somebody else, to which we must reply, yes, indeed you did, and freely. But only because in eternity, God had first decided for you. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election, and we should beware of any who try to systematise it too precisely or rigidly. But then he stop presses this a little bit further when he gets to this section about God's possession and who is in, you know, it was Israel. And how do we get in? Well, it's by believing the gospel. How do we live with that practically? Um, Stott goes on, he says, let no one say, therefore, that the doctrine of election by the sovereign will and mercy of God, mysterious as it is, let no one say that that makes either evangelism or faith unnecessary. The opposite is the case. It is only because of God's gracious will to save that evangelism has any hope of success and faith will be, becomes possible. The preaching of the gospel is the very means that God has appointed by which he delivers from blindness and bondage those whom he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world, sets them free to believe in Jesus and so causes his will to be done. Look, here's the comfort, Christian. Do you sometimes question your own conversion? Am I really saved? Some Christians don't. By the way, some Christians, that never seems to cross their mind. Other Christians are kind of, they're tormented by that from time to time. Here's the comfort, verse 13. Read a little along with me, please. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him. Christian, do you ever fear that you won't make it? Promise the Spirit. Christian, do you ever fear that you won't make it? Or do you ever uh, wonder about your efforts for Jesus? They seem so feeble. They seem so ineffective. Uh, your attempts to share, share Christ seem so ill-suited to the task. Christian, take comfort. He works out everything in, accordance, uh, in conformity with the purpose of his will. You are God's possession, Christian, marked and sealed and so hopeful. And your hope won't disappoint you because thirdly, his purpose. Thirdly, his purpose. As we deepen our grasp of all that God has done for us in Christ, we see increasingly clearly the power of God bent to this spectacular purpose. And that's a purpose, not just for us and for little me, I've been chosen, I've been um, sort of picked out, uh, um, you know, craving the blessings of God. No, his purpose is the glory of Jesus in a whole world of fullness. It's this grand vision. So uh, as we read uh, from verse 15, could we read from verse 15 together? Just remember that wolf metaphor, if we could please. The one you feed. That's the, the path to strength and growth and praise. Do we meditate on these things? Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, so Paul's speaking of the Ephesian Christians, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. Do you see the feeding uh, there? 
to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all these things, sorry, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Brothers and sisters, do you know where you are right now? In Christ, you stand in the presence of God, the God who sees and loves and lavishes his everything on you. You know where you are right now. Do you know what you are right now? In Christ and through faith in him alone, you are the possession of God, who has the God who has marked your life as his own when he came to be with you and live in you and guarantee good for you in the power of his Holy Spirit. Christian, do you see then what lies ahead? His purpose. It's the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. But the vision here, as I said, is not just about us. Don't let that vision turn you inward. But we know this hope. We have this future. We look toward this purpose being realised in the power of Christ. But because the will be, but because it starts with us, radiates out from us, just as it rings out from Paul's words here to the Ephesians and he hopes beyond, rings out as we live lives gripped to the praise of his glorious grace. May we pray together. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, uh, when our enthusiasm um, starts to flag and our hearts feel heavy, Father, we want to know Christ better. We want to be fed with the truth of the gospel. People who live by and whose lives sing of the riches of your grace to us. Oh God, you haven't held anything back from us. We see that in our redemption, the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you withheld for our sake? No, God, may Christ be our confidence and our boast. Uh, not an arrogant, hostile boast, but the joy and hope that we want to share with the world that sorely needs it. Father, we pray particularly for those around us whose praise is weak at the present time or has become run down. And maybe that's some of us. May they, may we rediscover Jesus. Would you work in them, in us, by your spirit to that end, please? Father, we want to pray for those who don't yet know the fullness of life in Christ, haven't encountered it, experienced it, grasped hold of it. Father, whatever shackles are weighing them down, may they discover among us uh, both every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and also may they find their voice to praise you with gladness in their own hearts. We ask it in the name of our powerful King Jesus. Amen.